This is WCBN-FM. My name is R. Wolf. I think this is your CD here, right? I'm filling in for Mike Perini, and before we get to some nonsense cookery from Edward Lear and passages from Carl Sandburg's Rutabaga stories, here's a word from the Longhairs Collective. It's a little cold for the ice cream truck to be coming around, but I think they're looking ahead for us. Outside my house And played your music way too loud The song got stuck inside my head I sang it once and I sang it again I don't want any of your ice cream Go ahead and drive on down my street I don't want any of your ice cream Go ahead and take your frozen treat Away from me on my porch but there is one thing in this life that I know once it repeats, it repeats. and repeats again and it repeats, it repeats and repeats again and it repeats and repeats, and repeats again it repeats. and just about when you think that the song should end it goes on and on and on and on my friend and it repeats and repeats again and it repeats and repeat Get back Black Dragon Get back Get back Paddy Wagon Get back Get back You and your icy cold sweets Get back and Don't come around my streets Get back Playing them songs on repeat Get back and Don't come 
around my street Get back, idiot song stuck on repeat Get back and don't come around my street Get back, but back, 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 but back, back, back Get back Get back I don't want any of your sympathy Get back I'd rather feel sorry for myself I don't want any of your sympathy I'd rather put my feelings on the shelf At least for now your love inside my heart and much too soon pulled away your car left me standing on the side of the road looking all around for no way home I don't want any of your sympathy I'd rather feel sorry for myself I don't want any of your sympathy I'd rather put my feelings on the shelf I said it's so much easier to point out what you don't want As opposed to what you really do want And now I've just demonstrated that I remember once I said it's so much easier to point out what you don't want As opposed to what you really do want And now once again I've just demonstrated that And also I repeated myself I repeat and repeat repeat again and I repeat and repeat and repeat again. and repeat and just about when you think that the song should end it goes on and on and on and on my friend you said repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and it repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat and repeat get back black dragon get back get back lady wagon get back get back song got says give me an original bomb pop at the end that was the long hairs collective now this thing has been out for a while uh, dreadlocks and ponytails very very nice thanks gentlemen uh, will copeland joe riley among others this is 
Pandora's Lunchbox on CBN. I'm reflecting on how miserable it is when technology takes a piece of music, a piece of a piece of a piece of music, and repeats it over and over again. Now, this can be fun and very useful, but we've noticed that a piece of music becomes suddenly kind of monstrous if you take away all the rest of its development. This happens with the ice cream truck they have made Scott Joplin's Entertainer and the old mountain fiddling song Turkey in the Straw into a strangely hollow and ultimately irritating or even maddening uh, syndromes, shall we say. It's a syndrome. It's no longer music. It's a shame. I heard a, a similar uh, abomination once at a uh, some sort of graduation uh, gathering in a big auditorium on campus. They did the same thing with uh, Pomp and Circumstance by Sir Edward Elgar. They just took away all the circumstance. There was nothing left but pomp. Anyway, at this point, we thought it'd be nice to bring in some really old music and perhaps read to you a little bit. Oh, that's good. It's supposed to be spoken word during the 6 to 7 period on CBN. So we thought it would be entirely appropriate to be nonsensical with you for the rest of this show. From the complete verse and other nonsense of Edward Lear, Mrs. Jafer found a wafer. This is a show about food, so... Mrs. Jafer found a wafer, which she stuck upon a note. This she took and gave the cook. Then she went and bought a boat, which she paddled down the stream, shouting, Ice produces cream. Beer, when churned, produces butter. Henceforth, all the words I utter, distant ages thus shall note. From the Jafer Wisdom Boat. Mrs. Jafer said it's safer if you've lemons in your head first to eat a pound of meat and then to go at once to bed. Eating meat is half the battle till you hear the lemons rattle. If you don't, You'll always moan in a lemoncholy tone. For there's nothing half so dreadful as lemons in your head. From Edward Lear's Nonsense Cookery, the three receipts... It says, receipts for domestic cookery. To make an amblongus pie, take four pounds, say four and a half pounds, of fresh amblonguses and put them in a small pipkin. Cover them with water and boil them for eight hours incessantly. After which, add two pints of new milk and proceed to boil for four hours more. 
When you have ascertained that the oblong gooses are quite soft, take them out and place them in a wide pan, taking care to shake them well previously. Grate some nutmeg over the surface and cover them carefully with powdered gingerbread, curry powder, and a sufficient quantity of cayenne pepper. Remove the pan into the next room and place it on the floor. Bring it back again and let it simmer for three quarters of an hour. Shake the pan violently till all the amblongusses have become of a pale purple color. Then, having prepared the paste, insert the hole carefully, adding at the same time a small pigeon, two slices of beef, four cauliflowers, and any number of oysters. Wait, uh, pardon me, watch patiently till the crust begins to rise and add a pinch of salt from time to time. Serve up in a clean dish and throw the whole out of the window as fast as possible. This is Edward Lear. How to make crumbobblious cutlets. Procure some strips of beef and having cut them into the smallest possible slices, proceed to cut them still smaller, eight or perhaps nine times. When the whole is thus minced, brush it up hastily with a new clothes brush and stir round rapidly and capriciously with a salt spoon or a soup ladle. Place the whole in a saucepan and remove it to a sunny place, say the roof of the house if free from sparrows or other birds, and leave it there for about a week. At the end of that time, add a little lavender, some oil of almonds, and a few herring bones. Then cover the whole with four gallons of clarified crumbobblious sauce when it will be ready for use. Cut into the shape of ordinary cutlets and serve up in a clean tablecloth or dinner napkin. And finally, from Edward Lear's Nonsense Cookery, to make gosky patties. That's G-O-S-K-Y. Take a pig three or four years of age and tie him by the off hind leg to a post. Place five pounds of currants, three of sugar, two pecks of peas, 18 roast chestnuts, a candle, and six bushels of turnips within his reach. If he eats these, constantly provide him with more. Then procure some cream, some slices of Cheshire cheese, four quires of foolscap paper, and a packet of black pins. Work the whole into a paste and spread it out to dry on a sheet of clean brown waterproof linen. When the paste is perfectly dry but not before, proceed to beat the pig violently with the handle of a large broom. This isn't nice, is it? If he squeals, beat him again. I told you it isn't nice. Visit the paste and beat the pig alternately for some days and ascertain if at the end of that period the hole is about to turn into gosky patties. If it does not, then it never will, and in that case the pig may be let loose and the whole process may be considered as finished. Three exciting entries from the... Actually, four entries from the complete nonsense and other verse of Edward Lear. And now we'd like to give you a... A marvelous extract from the Rutabaga stories of Carl Sandburg. Are you ready? Let's let this play out. This is so nice. Dum 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 dum. 
This reading is for Joe, the big orange cat. The wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle and who was in it. The rag doll had many friends. The whisk broom, the furnace shovel, the coffee pot. They all liked the rag doll very much. But when the rag doll married, it was the broom handle she picked because the broom handle fixed her eyes. A proud child, proud but careless, banged the head of the rag doll against a door one day and knocked off both the glass eyes sewed on long ago. It was then the broom handle found two black California prunes and fastened the two California prunes just where the eyes belonged. So when then the rag doll had two fine black eyes brand new. She was even nicknamed Black Eyes by some people. There was a wedding when the rag doll married the broom handle. It was a grand wedding with one of the grandest processions ever seen at a rag doll wedding. And we are sure no broom handle ever had a grander wedding procession when he got married. Who marched in the procession? Well, first came the spoon lickers. Every one of them had a teaspoon or a soup spoon, though most of them had a big tablespoon. On the spoons, what did they have? Oh, some had butterscotch, some had gravy, some had marshmallow fudge. Everyone had something slickery sweet or fat to eat on the spoon. And as they marched in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle, they licked their spoons and looked around and licked their spoons again. Next came the tin pan bangers. Some had dish pans, some had frying pans, some had potato peeling pans. All the pans were tin with tight tin bottoms, and the tin pan bangers banged with knives and forks and iron and wooden bangers on the bottoms of the tin pans. And as they marched in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle, they banged their pans and looked around and banged again. Then came the chocolate chins. They were all eating chocolates. And the chocolate was slippery and slickered all over their chins. Some of them spattered the ends of their noses with black chocolate. Some of them spread the brown chocolate nearly up to their ears. And then as they marched in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle, they stuck their chins in the air and looked around and stuck their chins in the air again. Next came the dirty bibs. They wore plain white bibs, checker bibs, striped bibs, blue bibs, and bibs with butterflies. But all the bibs were dirty. The plain white bibs were dirty, the checkered bibs were dirty, the striped bibs, the blue bibs, and the bibs with butterflies on them, they were all dirty. And so in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle, the dirty bibs marked with their dirty fingers on the bibs, and they looked around and laughed, and looked around and laughed again. Next came the clean ears. They were proud. How they got into the procession, nobody knows. Their ears were all clean. They were clean not only on the outside, but they were clean on the inside. There was not a speck of dirt or dust or muss or mess on the inside nor the outside of their ears. And so in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle, they wiggled their ears and looked around and wiggled their ears some more. The 
Easy Ticklers were next in the procession. Their faces were shining. Their cheeks were like bars of new soap. Their ribs were strong, and the meat and the fat was thick on their ribs. It was plain to see they were saying, Don't tickle me, because I tickle so easy. And as they marched in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle, they tickled themselves and laughed and looked around and tickled themselves again. The music was furnished mostly by the musical soup eaters. They marched with big bowls of soup in front of them and big spoons for eating the soup. They whistled and chuzzled and snozzled the soup and the noise they made could be heard far up at the head of the procession where the spoon lickers were marching. So they dipped their soup and looked around and dipped their soup again. The chubby chubs were next. They were roly-poly, round-faced smackers and snoozers. They were not fat babies. Oh, no. Oh, no. Not fat, but just chubby and easy to squeeze. They marched on their chubby legs and chubby feet and chubbed their chubs and looked around and chubbed their chubs again. The last of all in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle were the sleepyheads. They were smiling and glad to be marching. (sighs) But their heads were slimpsing down and their smiles were half fading away. And their ears were half shut or a little more than half shut. They staggered just a little as though their feet were not sure where they were going. They were the sleepyheads. The last of all in the wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle. And the sleepy heads, they never looked around at all. It was a grand procession, don't you think so? The wedding procession of the rag doll and the broom handle. This report was written by Carl Sandburg. It's from his, uh, I think, one of the greatest books ever put together by anybody. Certainly one of his most reassuring, the Rutabaga stories. He spells Rutabaga, R-O-O-T-A-B-A-G-A. Rutabaga Stories by Carl Sandburg. Originally published in 1922 and again in 1950. This is Pandora's Lunchbox, a show about food and the human condition. My name is R. Wolf R. Wolf, and I'm filling in for Mike Perini. It occurs to me, and this will polish off this half hour pretty nicely, I think, and get us ready for Face the Music. The Huckabuck family and how they raised popcorn in Nebraska and quit and came back, which is exactly what Mike is doing. Jonas Jonas Huckabuck was a farmer in Nebraska with a wife, Mama Mama Huckabuck, and a daughter, Pony Pony Huckabuck. Your father gave you two names the same in front, people had said to him. And he answered, yes, two names are easier to remember. If you call me by my first name, Jonas, and I don't hear you then, when you call me by my second name, Jonas, maybe I will. And he went on, I call my pony face girl Pony Pony, because if she doesn't hear me the first time, she always does the second. And so they lived on a farm where they raised popcorn. These three, Jonas Jonas Huckabuck, his wife Mama Mama Huckabuck, and their pony-faced daughter, Pony Pony Huckabuck. 
After they harvested the crop one year, they had the barns, the cribs, the sheds, the shacks, and all the cracks and corners of the farm all filled with popcorn. We came out to Nebraska to raise popcorn, said Jonas Jonas, and I guess we got nearly enough popcorn this year for the popcorn poppers and all the friends and relations of all the popcorn poppers in these United States. And this was the year Pony Pony was going to bake her first squash pie all by herself. In one corner of the corn crib, all covered over with popcorn, she had a secret. A big round squash. A fat yellow squash. A rich squash all spotted with spots of gold. She carried the squash into the kitchen, took a long, sharp, shining knife, and then she cut the squash in the middle till she had the two big half squashes. And inside, just like outside, it was rich yellow, spotted with spots of gold. And there was a shine of silver, and Pony Pony wondered why silver should be in a squash. She picked and plunged with her fingers till she pulled it out. It's a buckle, she said, a silver buckle, a Chinese silver slipper buckle. And she ran with it to her father and said, look what I found when I cut open the golden yellow squash spotted with gold spots. It is a Chinese silver slipper buckle. It means our luck is going to change, and we don't know whether it will be good luck or bad luck, said Jonas Jonas to his daughter, Pony Pony Huckabuck. Then she ran with it to her mother and said, Look what I found when I cut open the yellow squash spotted with spots of gold. It is a Chinese silver slipper buckle. It means our luck is going to change, and we don't know whether it will be good luck or bad luck, said Mama Mama Huckabuck. And that night a fire started in the barns, cribs, sheds, shacks, cracks, and corners where the popcorn harvest was kept. All night long the popcorn popped. In the morning the ground all around the farmhouse and the barn was covered with white popcorn so it looked like a heavy fall of snow. All the next day the fire kept on and the popcorn popped till it was up to the shoulders of Pony Pony when she tried to walk from the house to the barn. And that night in all the barns, cribs, sheds, shacks, cracks, and corners of the farm, the popcorn went on popping. In the morning, when Jonas Jonas Hucklebuck looked out of the upstairs window, he saw the popcorn popping and coming higher and higher. It was nearly up to the window. Before evening and dark of that day, Jonas Jonas Huckabuck and his wife Mama Mama Huckabuck and their daughter Pony Pony Huckabuck all went away from the farm saying, We came to Nebraska to raise popcorn, but this is too much. We will not come back till the wind blows away the popcorn. We will not come back till we get a sign and a signal. So they went to Oskaloosa, Iowa. And the next year, Pony Pony Huckabuck was very proud because when she stood on the sidewalks in the street, she could see her father sitting high on the seat of a coal wagon, driving two big spanking horses hitched with shining brass harness in front of the coal wagon. And though Pony Pony and Jonas Jonas were proud, very proud all that year, there never came a sign or a signal. The next year again was a proud year, exactly a proud, as proud a year as they spent in Oskaloosa. They went to Paducah, Kentucky, to Defiance, Ohio, Peoria, Illinois, Indianapolis, Indiana, Walla Walla, Washington. And in all these places, Pony Pony Huckabuck saw her father, Jonas Jonas Huckabuck, standing in rubber boots deep down in a ditch with a shining steel shovel, shoveling yellow clay and black mud from down in the ditch, high and high up over his shoulders. And though it was a proud year, they got no sign and no signal. The next year came. It was the proudest of all. It was, uh, this was the year that Jonas Jonas Huckabuck and his family lived in Elgin, Illinois. 
And Jonas Jonas was watchman in a watch factory watching the watches. I know where you have been, Mama Mama Huckabuck would say in an evening to Pony Pony Huckabuck. You have been down to the watch factory watching your father watch the watches. Yes, said Pony Pony, yes, and this evening when I was watching Father watch the watches in the watch factory, I looked over my shoulder and I saw a policeman with a star and brass buttons and he was watching me to see if I was watching Father watch the watches in the watch factory. It's another way of saying it's 7 o'clock at night and this is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. 88.3, we're uh, finishing up a story from Carl Sandberg's Rutabaga stories and then we'll get on with Face the Music. It was a proud, proud year. Pony Pony saved her money. Thanksgiving came. Pony Pony said, I'm going to get a squash to make a squash pie. She hunted from one grocery to another. She kept her eyes on the farm wagons coming into Elgin with squashes. She found what she wanted, the yellow squash spotted with gold spots. She took it home, cut it open, and saw the inside